0: Chapter 2 from the book, Help, I'm Addicted, Changing from the Inside Out. There was a man with the job of raising and lowering a drawbridge so passenger trains could cross a deep canyon. This man had one child, a son whom he loved very much. One day, the little boy wandered toward the bridge without his father even noticing. Soon, the father heard a train whistle. As he started to pull the lever to lower the bridge, he looked out the window and saw that his son had crawled down into the heavy gears. If he pulled the lever, his son would be crushed. There are only seconds to decide. Hundreds of people would die if he didn't lower the bridge. All sons and daughters loved by someone. He took a deep breath, and with his heart screaming with pain, he pulled the lever. The bereaved father stood helplessly at the window, beating on it with both fists and screaming out in anguish as the train zipped quickly over the bridge. The passengers thought that he was waving, so they waved back, smiling and content without realizing the price that the father had just paid. Now, this story has been shared countless times. I've heard it many times, but it's a timeless allegory demonstrating the tremendous love God has for us and how we can truly change from the inside out. Sadly, many people are embarrassed to share this life-changing message because it may hurt their marketability. But shouldn't uh, we be more concerned about credibility than about marketability? Choosing to change from the inside out is the most important step you can take. To truly change behavior, the heart must change. God promises deliverance if we turn to Him. Dio Moody once said, There is no peace until we see the finished work of Jesus Christ, until we can look back and see the cross of Christ between us and our sins. Are you heading in the right direction? If not... Consider who or what is leading you, religion or a relationship with God. Religion says, I have to follow rules. A relationship with Christ says, because of the price he paid for me, I want to follow his plan for my life. Religion says, I have to go to church. A relationship with Christ says, I want to position myself to learn more, worship him and benefit from the fellowship religion lacks assurance but a relationship with jesus offers unfailing guidance and assurance religion is man's attempt to reach god a relationship with christ is god reaching down to man so what does this have to do with an, a book uh, with a book on addiction well hold tight i'm gonna get there in just a minute no matter what you've done or have been through you can repent and return to him a true measure of a person is not who they were but who they will become. Let me say that again. That could be really encouraging for some of you. A true measure of a person is not who they were, but who they will become. Now, if you're an unbeliever and you don't have that relationship with God, you need to acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Look at Romans 3.23. You need to acknowledge that Jesus died for your sins, John 3.16. You need to repent and turn from those sins, Acts 3.19. Live your life for him, not you, Hebrews 12, 1 through two. Live for him, trust him, serve him. This is how we truly change from the inside out. Now, remember, addiction is a stronghold, and the change has to come from the inside out. We, we can't just go through formality and rigidness and white knuckling it. There's got to be a deep change from the inside. Doesn't mean you're going to live perfectly. Doesn't mean you might not struggle again, but that, that change must be must be a deep spiritual change. And it's important to begin with the right foundation. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Check out John 14, 6. When you hit rock bottom, look to the rock that is at the bottom. When my oldest daughter was very young, she nearly died in a drowning accident. While my wife and I were engaged in a casual conversation by the pool, my daughter walked down the steps and into the water. She was just a few feet away, yet we didn't notice her. Seconds later, My wife saw her struggling in the water. She ran over and immediately pulled her out. We thank God for his grace that afternoon and still do to this day. In that same way, sin works in stealth mode. It must be taken seriously as it separates us from God and opposes his will. Sin corrupts our character and often leads us down the path of addiction. That is why so many Christians continue to fall backward instead of moving forward, working out their salvation with fear and trembling. Check out Philippians 2.12. And I heard a story a while back about a young boy who kept falling out of his bed while he slept. Frustrated, he asked his mother why he kept falling out of bed. She wisely answered, it's because you don't stay far enough in. In the same way, many of us fall back into sin because we don't get far enough into God's covering of safety and protection. Are you removing the stumbling blocks? Are you getting accountability? Are you re- removing those relationships that are pulling you down? Are you avoiding the triggers? I mean, this is not rocket science. Uh, this is, this is basic biblical Christianity 101. We also don't view sin as a serious infraction against God. That's another problem. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans 3.10-11 through adds that there are none that are righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands, who really seeks after God. So we all sin, fall short, no one is innocent. Humility recognizes that we are fallible human beings, fallible human beings, I should say, that fall, (laughs) uh, who have sinned against God. His word is a lifeline to our soul and an anchor for our lives, not something to be debated, altered, or misrepresented. Misrepresented. We don't change truth. Truth changes us. Imagine if a family member were stabbed to death with a knife and the police gave you the knife, uh, gave you back the knife. Would you put it in the kitchen with the other knives? Of course not. You would get rid of it or burn it or do something with it. The same thing holds true with sin. We must view it as the weapon that destroys our lives, marriages, families, and nation. Now, be encouraged. We all struggle with something. Like the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7.24, we must ask ourselves, who will free me from the domination of sin in my life? Romans 6.16 answers, whatever you choose to obey becomes your master. We can choose sin or we can choose to obey God. It's a choice. In a war, key battles must be won to assure victory. Today, absolute truth is one such battle. A weapon of relativism, which is man doing right in his own eyes and in his own, by his own standards, whatever he thinks is, is, is right, he does. This weapon of relativism has set its sights on our nation, on our homes and our families, and we must stand up and fight against it. Our culture continues to challenge truth, but to its own destruction. Attacking absolute truth is waging war on God. Unfortunately, Christians who sound the alarm are often categorized as irrational, judgmental, bigoted, and intolerant. But how can we warn if we will not confront? And how we, can we correct if we will not challenge? We are not called to make the truth tolerable. We are called to make the truth clear. So, if you truly want to change from the inside out, you must embrace God's truth. Why is the world offended by truth? Why are so many disturbed when the name of Jesus is mentioned? Why is his name, above all other names, often taken in vain? The answer is simple. There is power in his name and in the cross. Power that shakes the spiritual realm. Philippians 2.9-11 says that God has highly exalted Jesus. He's given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and every time we'll confess that he is Lord. Sin and repentance have never been popular terms, even though they are at the heart of true change. Jesus himself said that these things would be offensive. Sadly, many today water down the gospel and avoid difficult truths. They want the Bible to be more appealing and marketable. marketable. It's a hard one for me, but truth is not marketable. We are to guard it, proclaim it, and defend it, but never compromise it. Let's say that again. We are to guard the truth, proclaim it, and defend it, but never compromise it. A skewed view of truth often leaves people confused and deceived because they believe in a self-promoting, self-seeking Christianity that bears no resemblance to Jesus' sobering call to fully surrender their lives to him. Jesus didn't say, follow me, and you won't have to change anything. He said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Check out Matthew chapter 16. Jesus wants us to understand what's involved when we follow him. There is a cost. The cross cost him, and it will cost us too. If current statistics hold true, many will continue to embrace a glamorized Christianity and be led astray. Life is a battleground, not a playground. If you've never sincerely repented and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this must be the first step. If you remember chapter one, I talk about you can be sober, but not saved. And that's very, very dangerous. So let's move forward. Yes, there are those who have overcome addictions by sheer willpower and motivation alone. That does happen. But are they truly, truly free? Think about it. You go to all these meetings where they they don't drink anymore. But they are drinking a half pot of coffee or they can't put down the nicotine. Uh, that addiction has not changed. Many people turn to sugar. Uh, and that's where the you know carbohydrates are the big thing right now of, of avoiding and turning into that glucose and storing body fat and all those different things. It's just that, that addiction really never leaves. It just changes uh, to some other form. Now, granted, I'd rather have a person addicted to sugar than alcohol. But you know what I mean? Um many have many lack hope and peace and assurance but if the son makes you free you shall be free indeed so just because there's freedom oh freedom in christ doesn't mean i don't struggle with something um you know the the the, the prisoner has been set free but doesn't mean they're not going to struggle with things you'll be free of guilt and shame and bondage and addiction even though those things will try to draw you back from time to time Many who are trapped in addiction go through life lacking passion, direction, and purpose, often living with a sense of remorse and guilt. A relationship with Christ changes that. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, while there are consequences for past mistakes, it's better to live in God's arms redeemed rather than to live broken outside of his will. Which way will you run? Choosing to change from the inside out is the first and most important step. There is a battle. It is warfare. It's time to wake up and fight. Final section here. Does God help those who help themselves? Let's think about this for a minute. People say that a lot. Does God help those who help themselves? Well, the following analogy may help you understand the bondage of a stronghold. A pig and a lamb both find their way to the mud. The mud represents the sin that we all fall into. The pig wallows in and enjoys the mud and may even lead others in, whereas the lamb hates its condition and cries out. That's the difference. Do you stay in the mud or do you turn to God and allow him to cleanse and redeem? Encouragement is a great motivator. And while there is great encouragement in the scriptures, there are warnings as well. Though God is abounding in grace, we don't want to abuse his grace or test his patience. So let go and let God is a partial truth. Those wanting to lose weight can't just say, I'm going to let go and let God while sitting on the couch eating donuts. Spouses can't say, I'm just going to let go and let God work on my marriage and yet remain bitter, scornful, and resentful. And to those who are addicted, they can't simply say, hey, I'm just, I'm going to let go and let God without also applying the principles found in his word. There is a middle ground between our responsibility and God's role in changing us. We have responsibilities, yet we are totally dependent on God. We must do our part, but we cannot do His. It is God who makes us stand firm in Christ, but we must stay anchored to the rock. Check out 2 Corinthians 1, 21. We must fill our heart with with the things of God. We also must expose the addiction. By repentance and clarity and not, you know, making excuses, not trying to hide things and without, if you don't do that, folks, it's going to be hard to um, beat addiction because it grows in the darkness of lies and half truths and, and, and partial obedience. And you have to install safeguards and you have to avoid the sin triggers. Change is not easy. Let me tell you, it takes deliberate preparation. When we see something we need, desire, or want, our first impulse is to act on it. This defining moment is often the most difficult time we face when overcoming temptation. Second Corinthians 10, 3-5. It's crystal clear in that, in that portion of Scripture that we have a responsibility to follow God's Word. It also goes on to say, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down the strongholds. So the weapons of our warfare, we've got to grab onto those weapons. Mainly the thought, the process, the battle is in the mind. It adds that we are to remove anything in our mind that goes against God. We are called to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, control your thoughts or they will control you. Nevertheless, temptation is also an opportunity to grow spiritually and to do what is right by turning from it. Being tempted isn't necessarily sin. Now, if you keep fueling that temptation by the things you look at, of course it is. But I'm just talking about, you know, temptation out of the blue. That's not sin. Surrendering to it is. The door of temptation swings both ways. You can enter it or you can exit. Even Christ was tempted, uh, as we are, in all points, but he was without sin. If we choose to enter this, this door of temptation, once we're inside, we may not see the exit sign so clearly again. Sin never stands still. It either grows or withers. Dan Deltzel In a riveting article years ago entitled Google Executives Tragic Death Sends Sober Warning wrote the following, how do you go from being a devoted father of five and a successful Silicon Valley executive into a 51-year-old man convulsing from a fatal dose of heroin on your 50-foot yacht with a prostitute walking over your dying body to take a final sip of wine before leaving you to die? Wow, that's powerful. He then presented the question, how can such a tragedy like this take place? Well, as we all know, if he was an unbeliever, he's already in the grip of Satan. Uh, If he happened to, to be a believer and was backslidden, then we know it happens one step at a time. He didn't just end up there. Compromise brought him down to that step, that final step. And the reason is the enemy rarely pushes us off the cliff, so to speak. We're often led down one step at a time, one compromise at a time, one wrong choice at a time. The demonic powers not only will give us what we crave, says Russell Moore, but they will assist us in covering it up for a little while. That is precisely the irony. Isn't that so true? The demonic powers, they will, they will, they will cover up. They will assist you in covering up your sin temporarily because they want to expose you later. Often you are fueled, Russell Moore continues, often you are fueled on from one temptation to the other because you haven't been caught. This gives you an illusion of a cocoon protecting you from justice. The powers, though, don't want you to get caught. Not just yet. Not this early in the march to the slaughterhouse. They don't have a mere 70 or 80 years to live. They're ancient and patient and quite willing to wait. Until your downfall will bring with it the most catastrophic consequences for you, your family, and for the kingdom of God, and to the image of Christ you carry. So they hope you cover it all up, and they will expose you mercilessly. Wow, powerful. Praise God if your bad habit vanishes once you surrender to God. But many times it's not that easy. It's a battle. Why God completely takes away addiction in some, but allows it to remain in others, it's a mystery to me. The words of a fellow believer spoke to me many years ago also demonstrate the confusion that many people have in this area. He told me, "When I was saved, God completely removed the desire for alcohol from me. He will remove that desire from anyone if they are truly saved. Now, there's a partial truth in that that God will see them through you no know, temptation has overtaken you, but which is common to man, uh, but not all the time, uh, we, we don't see all the time that these sinful desires vanish never to return. Sometimes they are ongoing struggles. And he, uh, Russell Moore, again, nails it in his book, Tested. I'm sorry, it's called Tempted and Tried. He says this, and this is so profound. Listen up. Sometimes we actually empower Satan by the way we speak of Christian conversion. We highlight the testimony of the ex-alcoholic who says, since I've met Jesus, I've never wanted another drink. Now that happens. And we should give thanks for God uh, on, on issues like that when it does happen. But this liberation is no more miraculous, indeed, in some ways, less so than the testimony of the repentant drunk who says, every time I hear a clink of ice in a glass, I tremble with desire, but God is faithful in keeping me sober. So true. Many can say, every time I see a beer being passed by, I crave it, but God has been keeping me through this. Many people can relate to that. Change is possible. You are not beyond God's reach. But it can be a struggle. Someone wisely, said, someone wisely said, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is tested. I think that's commonly attributed to Martin Luther. For every person God delivered completely, I can name others who still had to battle. Life is an ongoing battle. When we are on God's side, we are also on the enemy's hit list. Resistance tests our faith. It draws us closer to God, and it leads us to spiritual maturity. Those who don't understand the Bible often view obedience as bondage and rules. I see it as safety and protection. I often say God's absolutes are guardrails through the canyons of life. They don't prevent us from enjoying life. They protect us from falling, and they protect us from failing. We are to rest in God as we lovingly follow Him. It's not about rules. Again, it's about a relationship. Jesus would often ask people, do you want to be made well? And so he's asking us today, I believe, do you? Uh, Because although theologians are divided on the motive behind such a question, one thought is clear. We must want to change and then make the choices that foster change. Ironically, I received the following email while working on this book. Hello, I'm an ER nurse and I care for many people with addiction. Sadly, they love their sin and often play the victim. Most of them don't want to change, including believers. They do not want to see themselves for who they really are. Their pride doesn't allow them to submit themselves to God. As you can see, choosing to change from the inside out is the first and more, most important step. Even if you've relapsed many times over or completely given up, you find yourself in your third or fourth recovery home, turn your life fully, fully over God, to God today. Get rid of the excuses. Let all that die at the foot of the cross. Ask God for strength to overcome addiction so for those who want added help i did preach a message a few years ago the title is god change me and please hurry so you can find that on youtube uh vimeo rumble i believe and i also want to let you know that we're video casting this so in addition to reading it for audible i'm also video casting so you can watch basically me reading it on youtube and rumble on the other platforms and share this information with friends and family, especially those who struggle with addiction. So let me just end with a quick prayer on this topic. Lord, I pray for those who are listening and even viewing this right now, God, that you would release this bondage from them, that the, that the struggle they've been encountering would, would lose its grip, lose its, its power over their lives. Lord, I pray they give though give it over to you today when they hear this and that although there might be a, still a struggle, Lord, you would give them the strength, the willpower that comes from your spirit and the, the veracity to fight this, the tenacity, I should say, to fight this, Lord. S- strengthen them. I pray that they would remove excuses, bring it to the forefront, expose it, put the addiction in the light and not try to work around it and keep it in the dark. Lord, convict them, encourage them and show them what they need to do to find this wholeness and peace that is only found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are moving on to chapter three here shortly. If you've enjoyed this episode of Idleman Unplugged, be sure to send us your ideas and topics for future episodes of the podcast. You can send us an email at westsidechristianfellowship.org or shaneidleman.com. Thank you for listening to us today and join us again on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Idleman Unplugged. For more information, visit us at shaneidleman.com. Again, that's shaneidleman.com. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network.